Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be in 29 through 40. Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be. And it is the story in the Bible that addresses this day, this day that we commonly call Palm Sunday. It's a, um, a celebration of sorts, and, and, and I grew up in church, okay? I grew up in church, and it's always been there. It's something that we do uh, in Sunday school as a little kid, or maybe kid church, or, or those kind of things. We would, we would go, and we would make crafts about um, a, a Palm Sunday. I remember one time I, I put my hand on this little uh, green piece of construction paper, and, and we outlined my hand, and we cut that out, and that was a palm branch, you know, um, that kind of thing. And, and we, we sang the song, and we participated. Sometimes when I was at church and I was a kid, Uh, the teacher would give us actual palm branches. Like some of them were real, some of them were fake. And we'd all leave the Sunday school time, the kids' time with these palm branches. We'd wave them around. They'd look a lot like what's on the walls or on this graphic here, these palm branches. And, but to be honest with you, as I, as I thought about that, I wondered if maybe along somewhere, I'm sure somebody told me what it means. What does Palm Sunday mean? I'm just not sure I was listening. I wasn't, I'm not, you know, somebody, I come out of Sunday school and I've got my little palm branch. I'm waving around. Look, mom, I got a palm branch. She's like, what's that for? You know, oh, the people put it down in front of Jesus and Jesus rode on top of it. And if my mom had asked why, I don't know why. I mean, I don't know if all of you know why, why they put palm branches down on the ground and let Jesus ride on it. That's what we're going to be talking about today. What is the meaning behind the palm branches? Why do we celebrate Palm Sunday. If it is just the day that Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, uh, showed up to the party that would eventually lead to his murder, if that's just the day that we're celebrating, on some level it's a little bit morbid, on another level it's a little bit odd. If we're just celebrating the day that Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, then it's a little bit odd. Look at this. Uh, I'm going to skip to sort of the chase. In Luke 19 verse 38, This is what the people in the city said as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. They said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. This is the point of Palm Sunday. Blessed is the king. The whole story has to do with not only that Jesus is showing up to Jerusalem, but that Jesus is showing up to Jerusalem as a king as royalty. Everything in the story, every aspect of the story, all the little oddity and the nuances, all the little words that are being used, the reason that Luke includes this story and the reason that the other gospel writers include this story is to signify not just that Jesus has arrived at Jerusalem, but that everything in the story Everything in Luke's story and everything in the Old Testament story has all been pointing to this one person who was king. Not only king of Jerusalem or Israel, but king of all. King of kings. So this story is all about that King Jesus. And it made me really kind of think about this idea that Jesus is royal. I was in Walgreens over on college Mm, a month, two months ago. And I was standing there to, to mail a package 
There's certain services that if, I think like FedEx or something like that, if you take it to Walgreens, they'll mail it. And there was somebody in the line in front of me, and as I was standing there in the line waiting on my turn, holding my package, I noticed off to my left this magazine rack. Okay, there's, there's a bunch of periodicals, some magazines there, and, and then, you know, gum. And so I noticed all of this to my side, and I started kind of reading uh, the covers of those magazines. There were six of them. And what was fascinating to me was that four of the six magazines featured on the cover one of the royals, either Queen Elizabeth or uh, Meghan uh, or William or Harry or Kate or a combination of them. Apparently they're always fighting. That's what I discovered, you know, when I was reading these four magazine um, covers there. And it was really interesting to me because I made sure, I checked on at least the, I don't know really where they're published, but all of them were American magazines. They were periodicals printed here in the United States. They're not British magazines that somehow found their way to Conway, Arkansas. These are American magazines. There is this fascination at least this interest among Americans with the royals. And I think everybody sort of understands that. Did any of you catch the interview uh, between Meghan Markle and America's Queen? Um, Oprah, did y'all, did y'all catch that? Did y'all see that? Guess how many people watched the interview between Meghan Markle and Oprah? 17 million people watched it live, okay? Not only those who watched it later. Uh, 17 million people. Just as a, I don't know, just to wrap your brain around that, guess how many people watched the Super Bowl last time? Five million people watched the Super Bowl this last time. 17 million people watched Meghan Markle being interviewed uh, by Oprah. She's one of the princesses. If you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. She's a famous talk show host, and um, the other one is a princess. And so this was a huge interview, and it is so fascinating to me why Americans are so interested in the royals. We literally fought them to make America. That was, that's how we did it, y'all. I don't know if you remember history, but our George beat up their George, and then we declared independence. That's, uh, that's the story. But his great-great-great-granddaughter, it's the Queen Elizabeth, and we still watch her, and we are fascinated by these people. And I think, here's my point, I think because of our fascination, our interest, our awareness of the royals, when we read Luke 19 or Mark 11 or where, wherever we're reading, when we read this idea that Jesus is king, that Jesus is royal, in our minds we start to kind of understand it. We frame it out through that lens, like like he was a celebrity. Like he showed up and everybody was excited because he's a celebrity, because he's really cool, because he's interesting, because you want to kind of find out about his unusual life. But that's not what was happening in the story. They had a much deeper and more rich understanding of what it meant to be royal and what it meant to be a king. So I want to point out some of those things and what they would have understood as they were watching this whole thing take place. What did they think was happening in this concept when they eventually say, blessed is the king? Look at this. Uh, let's go back to this verse. This is Luke uh, 19, verse 29. It says, as he approached um, Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent to of the disciples. Now, 
this town up here, we don't know exactly where that is anymore. It's, it's a ghost town. It's gone, okay? We don't know if it's to the east or the west of Bethany, but we do know where Bethany is. It's just right outside of Jerusalem, and it's not all that far outside of Jerusalem. This is really sort of the point. As I dug into this, I was wondering, why is Luke so specific about these towns and where he's approaching? I come to the conclusion that it's not really that Luke was trying to tell you where he was, but the distance he was from Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is not that far from Jerusalem. Another way to understand what's going on here is Jesus could have easily just gone in and done what he sent the other ones to do, but he doesn't. He pauses, he stops, so that what is about to happen will happen. He wants to allow space for it. He wants to allow room for it. And so what does he do? Well, it says that he sent two of his disciples. This is really big. This is sort of uh, breaking the ice on this concept of blessed is the king. Jesus is the king. What we first see in the story as Jesus is behaving, as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, is that Jesus is behaving like a king. Jesus has a mission, and Jesus commissions people for that mission. Jesus has a plan. The king has a plan, he has a mission, and he is sending people on that mission. Another fascinating thing about the story, if you notice this, and the other accounts of this story in the New Testament is, in none of the accounts are these two disciples named. None of them are they named. We have a bunch of stories about Jesus talking to this disciple, or these disciples doing this, or these two wanted to um, murder a whole town, and these two were fighting, and their mom got all involved. We know all of their names. We know all of that conversation. We know what's going on in the story, and yet in this story, right there at the end, right there in this big scene where two guys are going to go and steal a donkey, we don't know their names. We don't even know who they are. And some of that has to do with this idea that Jesus is king. Why? Because when you are on mission for the king, you're really not the point. It's not about you. It's about the king. And it's about the king's mission. This is not the only time that Jesus is going to do this. Later on, you remember when Jesus resurrected, when he beat death and he's teaching his disciples? Right before he ascends, right before he goes into heaven, he tells his disciples, now go. Go into all of the world. He is sending out the disciples, and by extension, us, into all of the world. That's not the last time. That's not the first time. There's two other stories where Jesus sends his disciples out into uh, the villages and into the towns and the neighboring communities to help and to heal them. Jesus has been acting like a king. Jesus is acting like a king. Jesus will act like a king. Why? Because Jesus is the king. That's what's happening as Jesus sends two of his disciples on a mission to go and do what he wants them to do. Now, growing up, I grew up outside of town. I don't even really have to tell you what town or how far outside, but if you've ever lived or were raised in a rural setting, you know what it means when I say there were times where we had to go to town. All right? We had to run into town and to get something. So much to the extent that uh, we would call our neighbors and ask them if they needed anything from Walmart before we go all the way into town. Because you got you to save them a trip, right? One time I bought one of my neighbors a toothbrush at Walmart because I was going into town. I needed to save him a trip. When I got to driving age, all of a sudden my mom went into town a lot less. You know why? 
because I had to go into town now. Mom would send me to pick up this or to get that or to buy some of these. The dogs need food or your neighbor needs a toothbrush, you know, something like that. And so I had to go into town. And when I went into town, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do, although I got to drive, you know, so that was fine. But going into town, I was going because mama said so. And I was to do what mama said to do. And I was to spend how much money mama said to spend. And I was to come home when mama said to come home. You know why? Because it wasn't about me. And mama is in charge. Same thing is going on in this text. That Jesus is the king and he sent these two disciples to do what he wanted them to do. Look at the next point. In 30 through 34, and he said, go into the village ahead of you. This is what he tells those two unnamed guys. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. That really is sort of this biblical idea of sanctification. It can be used for holy reasons. No one has ever said, untie it and bring it. Bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent, remember, they're not even named here again. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. Of course, Jesus said, as they were untying the cold, the owner said what you would expect the owners to say. Like as they're, um, you know, clearing their shotgun, why are you untying the colts? They They respond, the Lord needs it. That's all that they respond. Now, in this story, there's the idea of the colt, and that the colt is just a young, uh, either donkey or a horse. Either way it goes. It's probably a donkey, but there's this young um, donkey or this horse. It could, it could go either way. This is one of the most unusual stories. This is one of the most unusual things that Jesus tells anybody to do in the Bible, at least in my opinion. And remember, Jesus once told somebody to go fish a fish out of the lake and pull a coin out of its mouth. And then he tells these folks to go and steal a donkey. I I know Jesus doesn't steal things. Why? Because he's the king. And that's really my point, that this is the authority over other people's stuff. That's what kings get to do. This would be like if after the service, um, you guys uh, go out of here and you go to the uh, little car lot that's next to us, that's, you know, selling vehicles and stuff like that, and there's a new Ford Raptor. It wouldn't be at, that would be somebody visiting that car lot, but let's say there is, all right? There's a new Ford Raptor sitting right there, and the keys are in it, and you go get into it, and you start it up, and you're going, and the the owner, the dealer, or whatever, they come out, and they say, what are you doing? You say, don't worry, Pastor Josh wants it. And they're like, oh, okay. And so you just take off, all right? I'm not telling you to do that, but I mean, if you see a new Ford Raptor and they just let you have it for me, go for it, all right? You know, just try it out, you know? That would be the same thing that Jesus just told these people to do. And all the people are like, oh, okay, well, yeah. I mean, he said the Lord wants it. All right, well, let's go back to our sandwich or whatever they were doing, you know? The Lord needs it. Now, so what's going on in the story? Either the Holy Spirit is just really leaned on everybody and they're just kind of going with the flow here. Nobody's really upset about anything. Or they all have something greater in mind. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So apparently in the Old Testament, what everybody is picking up at this point is that Jesus is riding in as the king. And this donkey is going to be used to show that. Jesus has authority to have a mission and to commission others on 
his mission. He also has authority over their stuff. There's another um, representation of what's going on here with King Jesus. They brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. And as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. And now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king. This is the verse that I read earlier. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. What's going on in this text is another unusual aspect of this part where he was going along and they were spreading their clothes out on the road. They were taking their jackets and and their shirts off and they were laying them on the road so that the donkey could walk on it as it was going through. I tried to picture what this would look like in our current culture. What's something that we do in our current setting that would be similar to this? And I couldn't really come up with anything. I thought for a second, maybe you know how when um, uh, a young man will take his jacket off uh, um, for his uh, young girlfriend or something like that? I say young because once you're married, you're like, no, sorry, you should have brought a jacket. And so, uh, you know, like they'll do that sort of thing. I thought maybe it's something like that. Somebody reminded me after um, uh, a service about um, uh, flower girls. You know, they'll go through and they'll put the flowers down and then the bride steps on them. We kill flowers, put them on the ground so the bride can step on them. So that's similar, right? That's similar to what's going on. I don't know why anybody's doing any of this, but that's what's going on in the story. There has to be some uh, element, I think, of a sacrificial honor where I'm willing to go without my jacket. I'm willing for a donkey to step on my jacket. Why? Because I am honoring the king. I'm willing to sacrifice to make much of this person, the bride, the king, or whatever. There is also biblical precedent in this. In 2 Kings chapter 9, there's a story. I think this story is kind of funny. I hope you do as well. 2 Kings chapter 9, there's this uh, prophet, and he has a school of prophets. There's other prophets that he's teaching how to be a prophet, I guess. And he tells one of them, he says, take a jar of oil, take it with you, and run to Jehu. Now, He literally says run, and the Bible says that this young prophet runs to Jehu. He says, when you get to Jehu, deliver him a message. Give to him a message. So this young prophet, this young man, with this jar of oil, hauls off running. And when he gets to Jehu, Jehu and his military buddies, his army pals, are all sitting outside. It doesn't say what they were doing. I picture dominoes or cards. So they're sitting outside, and they're playing cards, and the guy with the oil runs up to the group and says, hey, I've got a message for y'all. Or for you. Jehu says, who? Who do you have a message for? And the prophet says, you. So Jehu goes, okay. So they go inside of a house, and the prophet takes the jar of oil, dumps it on his head, says, this is what the Lord says. You're the new king. Overthrow the current king. Kill off his wife. Leave her in a field, and dogs are going to eat her body. Peace. And then he runs out the door. It's literally, the Bible says that he escapes from the door. I find that funny because nobody was attacking him or chasing him or anything. The guy just runs everywhere. I've got a kid like that. He just runs everywhere, you know? So Jehu walks outside, and his card buddies are saying, what did that guy want? And the guy says, picture, dripping in oil, says, I don't know, you know, crazy people, they say crazy things. And this is what the Bible says in 2 Kings 9, 12. But they replied, that's a lie. Tell us. So Jehu said, he talked to me about this and that. That's that's what the Bible says. This and that. Overthrow the king, the body, all that, dogs. This is what the Lord says. 
I anoint you king over Israel. So he's dripping in oil. He says, the crazy guy just says, I'm the, I'm the new king, promotion. And then they, each man quickly took off his garment, put it under Jehu on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn and proclaimed, Jehu is king. That's how that went. Apparently it's pretty easy to make a king back then, you know? And so they do that. This is what's going on in this story. This is the precedent to this story, that when there's a new king, you take off your jacket, you put it on the ground so that the king can walk on it or the donkey can ride on it in order to recognize that you are submitting to that person. That person is now the king. It is this self-sacrificial recognition of who the king is. Jesus is acting like a king. He's commissioning people on his mission. He has authority over their stuff, and he's being recognized as the king. All of this leads up to uh, sort of the last point, the last part of the story that is going to look like Jesus is the king. And what's ironic is it comes from the people that don't like Jesus. It says, uh, some of the Pharisees, this is the people that are always trying to trip up Jesus, from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. That's what they say to him. And he answers, I tell you, if, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. This is the response that Jesus gives to his enemies who tell him, tell your disciples to be quiet. Now, here's a couple layers to this. First of all, the Pharisees are telling him to um, make them be quiet. Why? Because they see, they recognize what's going on. They look around and everybody recognizes that they, the city, is treating him like he's the king. Everybody sees that. And so the Pharisees are responding, thinking, that's not right. He's not the king. We don't agree. So would you tell them to be quiet? Here's the irony of it. The only person that can stand in Jerusalem and tell the Jews, all of them, the city of Jerusalem, can hold up his hand and cause them all to be silent is the king. Even ironically, his enemies are recognizing you have the authority to let them speak and make them quiet. You have the authority to correct them. It reminds me of what Colossians says, this last part, when he says that the stones would cry out. Jesus is saying, not only am I king of these people, I'm king of everything, of all of nature. Colossians 1, 15 through 16 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the king. When we celebrate Palm Sunday, when we recognize what's going on with these palm branches and declare what Jesus has done, we're not just celebrating that Jesus arrived to a party that ultimately ended his death. We are celebrating that Jesus is the king, the king over all things, and that we have a king. But like I said at the beginning, we don't really, we, we have a president, senate, and, and representative. We don't have a king. What does that mean to us? What would be the implications for those of us living now in this country and in this world? What does it mean for us to have a king? Well, let me give you four real quickly. The first one is that if we have a king, then it is logical that we are sent on his mission. If King Jesus gave a 
an order or a mission, then we are sent on that mission and it's not about us. And the truth is that he did, that my life and whatever realm you live your life in, your work and your career and the stage and the season that you are in your life, you are sent on a mission. It's not your mission, it's the king's mission. And you are commissioned by him to go and to do what he said to do. And he told us to do that. The order has been given. Go and tell the people the good news. Go and tell the entire world the good news. This is the reason we are going to Greenbrier. This is the reason we are going to Easter at the Expo. This is the reason that you are going and taking invitations out to the people, into the highways and the byways, into the, into the fields and into the people. You are going out into those communities to share the message of Jesus Christ, not because of an event, not because there's going to be Zateo coffee, not because there's going to be stuff for the kids, not because it's just going to be cool. You are going because you are obeying the king. And the king has given us an order to go and invite them, to go and tell them that he is the king. The second thing is that everything I have is to be leveraged for the king's mission. My vehicle should carry people to church, food to the hungry, my money, my home, my time, my skill, my mouth, my ability to speak, my ability to think, my creativity, my social media, all of that has to be leveraged for the king's mission. If the king asks for your donkey, you give the king your donkey because he has authority over your stuff. That's the reality. Third, first is he has a mission and you were sent. Second, he has authority over your stuff. Third, it means that we are willing to sacrifice and give the king honor and worship. When you were driving in today, did you notice what a beautiful day it is? It is truly a beautiful day in central Arkansas. Just one of the kind of days that you want to go out and get in a kayak or a hammock or a, a trail or mow the yard or pull weeds. Some people don't like that, but I do. You like to do all that kind of stuff. You want to go outside. I understand there are a million other things that you could be doing right now, but you're not. You know why? Because you're sacrificing, very small sacrifice. You're sacrificing a couple hours to recognize the king. We are gathered together to recognize the king. And then finally, we recognize that he has authority to correct me to let me know from his word when I am doing wrong, for the spirit to convict me of my sins and to alter my path. We don't really like this sort of correction, but we should accept it because he is the king. If I said this, do y'all know what this is? Do y'all know what a Twitter troll is? You know what that is? That is a person who... Um, they're just having a bad day or something, and they decide to just start stuff with people, okay? That's what, they, they, they do that kind of stuff. And this last week, um, one of them went after me, all right? He doesn't like me, I think, because of my, my hairstyle or something like that. I'm not entirely sure what Twitter trolls are mad about, but they, they get mad about it. And this one went particularly after me pretty good, and um, a buddy of his actually called around to talk some trash about me and called this guy and called this guy, and they were, they were all being very mean. And in my heart, I, first, you know, I was hurt, and then I was discouraged, and then I was, I was mad. And I started to feel myself get bitter or even mean. I thought to myself, I'm going to get this guy, right? I'm good at stuff like this. I can say stuff real fast. I'm smart. I can say stuff uh, fast and sharp. 
I'm good at this kind of stuff. You don't want to like fight me in 140 characters. I can take you in that way. Like fight me in real life, you'll probably win. But in 140 characters online, I got you, man. You know, that kind of stuff. I started to feel that way. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, you are not. Don't you hate it when he like butts his nose into your personal business? It's like, this does not concern you. He said, no, you're not. In fact, he told me this. Holy Spirit says, you're going to pray for him by name every day. And so I did, begrudgingly. I did. And I prayed that God would bless him, help him. May he be happy and successful. May he uh, realize that he's loved and that he's mean. All those kind of stuff. May he realize those sort of things. I prayed for this. And I promise you, as sure as I am standing here, not five minutes after the very next day, when I prayed in my personal devotion time, I get a text message from him. And the message says, I'm sorry, I was wrong, full stop. I shouldn't have done it. Because the Spirit, the King, has authority to change me, to alter my path, and to alter his path. Because he is a believer, he's a Christian, and we're both brothers in Christ, and we are friends. So the Spirit has that sort of authority. Look, at its most basic understanding, kings are kings because they provide something for the people. Usually it is protection and sometimes it is provision. The king is supposed to protect his people, to give an order and to set direction. And all of this is true about Jesus. He is a good king in that respect and in that manner. He protects and he cares for his people. The issue really isn't how good the king is and how good it is to be a subject to that king. The real issue for all of us sitting here today is whether or not you are part of that kingdom. The Bible teaches us very clearly that until you submit to the king, that you are not part of Jesus' kingdom, that you are not part of the kingdom of life, you are part of the kingdom of death, that you are not part of the kingdom of light, you are part of the kingdom of darkness. And all one needs to do in order to be um, brought in, accepted, celebrated in the kingdom of life, in the kingdom of Jesus, is to submit to the king is to take off whatever protection you thought you had, whatever garment of righteousness you thought you walked around in, whatever coat of honor, whatever coat of acclamation, whatever jacket of achievement, and lay that down at the feet of the true King Jesus. And then you are part of the kingdom of life. And then Jesus is your good king. Tim Keller wrote this book called Jesus the King. Tim Keller's genius, very smart. I would encourage you to read anything Tim Keller writes. Here's what he says, and this is sort of a longer quote, so follow along with me. He says this, you don't come to the king negotiating. You lay your sword at the king's feet and you say, command me. If you try to negotiate instead, if you say something like, I'll obey you if you aren't recognizing him as king. But don't forget this, Jesus is not just a king. He's a king on a cross, if he were only the king on the throne, you'd submit to him just because you have to. But he's a king who went to the cross for you. Therefore, you can submit to him out of love and trust. This means coming to him, not negotiating, but saying, Lord, whatever you ask, I will do. When you take all of this and you put it all, here's what you've got to recognize. When Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, the king didn't send somebody. The king didn't send somebody to accomplish the mission. The king went and laid down his life 
for the people. That's why we celebrate. That's why we lay palm branches down. That's why we sing Hosanna. I read while I was studying Palm Sunday that in some uh, places, in some regions, they don't, they don't do palm branches. They don't uh, give the kids palm branches. They'll give the kids or they'll celebrate Palm Sunday with whatever, um, whatever trees are native, okay? So trees and If you don't have palm trees, you've got to use some other sort of tree. And so it made me, as a new Arkansan, sort of wonder, what is the, uh, the state tree of Arkansas. So I read about this online, lots of places. In fact, this is just sort of kind of rabbit hole I went down, read several dozen websites about the pine tree. Um, First, it was just finding out that our tree is the pine tree. And there is some debate on which specific pine tree is our state tree, but uh, let's just go with pine for this this situation. And I decided to just like research pine trees. There are a ton of different kinds of pine trees by the way, all right? And they're fascinating. I have come to the conclusion that the short needle pine tree is the best of all the pine trees. That's my preferred pine tree. One of the reasons is that I have a sort of a love-hate relationship with pine trees. Growing up in southern Mississippi, we had a different kind of pine tree, not the short needle, and it drops its sap all over the place. And it dropped its sap on my swing set one time, and so ever since that time, I have hated um, pine trees. They're just they, they messed up my swing. And so I was really mad about that. The other reason is because before I came to Arkansas, I really wasn't all that familiar with short needle pine trees and the way that they look and the way that I find them to be very pretty. In my backyard, and let me clarify this. So in my backyard, the neighbor behind me has a couple of short needle pine trees. And off to the left, two or three houses down, there are these Uh, pine trees there. I love pine trees in somebody else's yard, all right? And so these pine trees are there in their backyards. And now that I'm old and I watch Dateline and drink coffee and sit on the back porch and look at pine trees, I will often look over at these pine trees off to um, the left, off to the east. And there are all these moments throughout the day. It could be a sunrise like this one where the pine trees are pushed up against uh, the sky like that. It could be a sunset at the end of the day where the light is shining on the pine trees in a different way. There's been times I've been amazed by the pine trees that are behind my house in the middle of the night when there's a big bright moon out like there was last night and the stars, the way they look, like even in the darkness, they are stretching all the way up toward heaven. There are times when a storm will blow through and you can only see them when the lightning Um, happens. And you can see these big, beautiful, tall trees stretching as far as they can up into the heaven. And what it makes me think of, I know this, this is corny, I get it, but what it makes me think of is no matter at the beginning of our lives or at the end of our lives, no matter in the storm or in the darkness, that God is always in control. Because like when you see a picture like this, it's not that the pine trees are necessarily all that beautiful. It's what's happening all behind the pine trees. And that as they stand there and they stretch up into the heavens, it is what they are doing in contrast or in connection with what God is doing. In the early and in the late, in the dark and in the scary, that our lives would signify, our lives would worship God as we stretch up into the heavens, as we make much of God, as we reach out towards him, that he is ultimately in control of everything. You know why? Because he's the king, and the king is completely in control of everything. There's nothing you need to fear at any point in your life 
as we, um, as we worship him. So I pray, I hope, that as you leave here today, your eyes will look up, you know, look up, look in, but don't look down. Your eyes will look up and you'll see those pine trees all at different parts of our cities. You'll see those pine trees stretching and you will say what the people of Israel, what the people of Jerusalem said, blessed is the king, glory in the highest heaven. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.